0: You are listening to a message from Vida City Church Houston. For more information about our church, visit our website at vidacch.org. And now, with you, today's message. I want to get into the word today. It's found in Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 43. We're going to read a lot of scripture, so uh, you'll catch up on your daily devotions after the scripture reading. But I believe it's something interesting that we all could uh, learn from. It's a story of two people that have needs, but they're totally different when you look at the surface of them, but deeply connected because of their needs. Here we go, Mark chapter 5, verse 21 through 43. You have your iPhone, iPad, your Bible, Uh, if not, it's on the screen. Jesus got into the boat again, and he went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. When a leader of a local synagogue, whose name is Jairus, arrived, when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him and all the people followed crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll, I'll be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed from, of a terrible condition. Jesus realized that once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at all this crowd pressing around you and you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then Frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While she was still speaking to, while he was still speaking to her, a messengers or messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Turn to somebody and say, don't be afraid. Just, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd, and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw how much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave, and he took girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was laying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Kaum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, how old was she? Immediately stood up and walked around and they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. I I think there are many titles that we could give this sermon today. Um, I think one of them could be, Get up. Get up. I think another one could be, the unexpected miracle. But I would like to use as a theme for today, sometimes you just have to make them all leave. Sometimes you just have to make them all leave. You see, the verses in 39 through 41 call out my attention. Because it says that when he went inside and asked why all this commotion and weeping, the child isn't dead. She is only asleep. Verse 40 says, the crowd laughed at him. You you know what, what I'm talking about. You, you know uh, people that are nothing but doubters, people that are nothing but haters, people that are unbelievers and people that are faithless that you have in your circle of influence, that you have in your room. You know, people that light up the room when they leave. Huh? People that you know that for every solution you have, they're looking for a problem. Anybody know people like that? These are the people that are inside that room where Jesus is arriving to, to, to do a miracle. A miracle. And the Bible says that, that he made them all leave in verse 40. He made them go. In the Greek, it literally means that he like basically grabbed them by their arms and says, thank you, but no thanks. Could you just get out of here? Could, could you just leave? You, you don't have to go home. Just leave my, my circle. of just, just leave my room. There's a miracle that is needed. There's a divine intervention that this person needs, and and, and it can't happen if you're just going to criticize. It can't happen if you don't have faith. It can't happen if you're not going to believe with me. It can't happen. And so as much as I love you, you know what? I'm sorry, but but you got to go. And there's some things in life and people in life that we're going to have to stand up because let, let, let me just challenge your theology and Christology uh, because we have this concept and it is true that, that, that Jesus is, is loving and that Jesus is sweet and that Jesus is kind and that Jesus is generous and he's all the above, but you've got to understand that Jesus is also firm and Jesus is also strong and Jesus can be harsh and, and sometimes he has to... To put out the unbelieving people, he has to put out all those that have a, a negative attitude, he has to put out all those people that are faithless because God cannot do a miracle when that is in the in the room and, and so he he he's firm and It says that he took the girl's father and mother and the three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Kaum, which means little girl, get up. Uh, uh, Could it be that we are telling some things in life to get up when we should be telling them to get out? Hello. Can it be that we want things to arise and there's nothing wrong with wanting things to live again and things to arise and to get up but but maybe for that to happen we've got to be stern and tell certain things in our lives to leave, to get out that maybe I've got to tell doubt I'm sorry but enough is enough doubt you've got to leave Uh, fear you have to go unbelief you have to exit resentment you've got to go bitterness you have to go unforgiveness get out could it be that we first need to get things out before we can get them up and we focused all our energy in wanting to see this to happen but it won't happen until you make some things happen and get out of your life that have been a hindrance and that won't allow the miracle of God to happen in your life now what's interesting is that in this chapter five of Mark, as he writes this gospel, he begins to speak about a synagogue leader whose name is Jairus. And in the middle of Jairus' story, in the middle of his story, we are suddenly interrupted by the story of a woman, of a woman who has an issue of blood, constant. These two people, as we'll see later on, are deeply connected. But you can tell on the surface because they are so completely and couldn't be more opposite to each other. You see, Jairus, he's a man, and this other person is a woman. Jairus is, is named in the text, but the Bible doesn't give us the name of of this woman. You see, Jairus is is honored and, and he's respected, but this woman has been put to shame and she's been rejected. See, Jairus is a leader of the synagogue, but this woman can't even go to the synagogue because she ceremonially is considered unclean and she's not allowed to go to the synagogue. Culture would suggest that this leader, Jairus, is, is a, a, a man affluent and that he probably has, has money in the bank and, and yet this woman is bankrupt because as we read, she has spent all the money that she had with doctors trying to cure her sickness and, and only to find out that they couldn't do anything and now she's broke, she's bankrupt, and the Bible says that she's even getting worse. You see, nevertheless, life has put them both, both in the same place, in the same posture, and in the same position. Because both of them have been hit by life with a situation that they can't handle by themselves or resolve by themselves. And if you to look around in this room, we all may be from different statutes and, and, and different levels, in society, economy, status. But when life hits us with things that we can't handle, all that doesn't matter. It all connects us and it brings us to Jesus. And so these two people, even though they're opposites, on the surface, deep down, they're connected by a common situation that they cannot handle for themselves. And how many of you know that life can be like that with us? That life can throw something at us and make us all feel the same way. That life will put us in situations that your money can't fix. Hello. Life will put us in situations that your friends can't fix. In situations that all your Facebook and Instagram followers can't fix. In situations that the connections that you have are not enough and can't fix it. That no matter the titles, the degrees and pedigrees that you have, even that can't fix it. And there comes a point in life that when life throws at you something that you can't handle, The best thing you could do is give up, not to the circumstance, but to throw your hands up and give up to Jesus and say, I can't handle this, but I know that you have the power and you can handle this situation. The problem is that we are too proud to admit that we need help. And sometimes you'll have to go through tough situations to understand that you need God's help. And both of these people arrive to the same place in life where they have to push through people to get an appointment with Jesus. Jairus is a a pastor, and though he is a pastor, we could say he shouldn't be ignoring people and pushing them to the side. Can you imagine him coming through a service and people coming to him pastor can i talk to you can you can, can you make an appointment uh, i don't have time right now pastor that was a great sermon thank you but get out of the way can you imagine that sometimes you become rude because you you definitely need an answer from God and and I didn't come to church to impress you I didn't come to church to show you off the latest clothes and the latest fashion I I didn't come not even to see I didn't even know you were wearing a Gucci I didn't even know you had new shoes there comes a point sometimes that I get to church and I don't care about anybody else I've got to have an encounter with Jesus my Situation demands an appointment with Jesus. You see, and finds himself in that same predicament that that I've got to push my way through. There was a crowd, the Bible says, and he's pushing his way through because he has his little daughter that is dying. But on the other spectrum as well, you find a woman who is dying, literally, literally dying, and and her life is literally flowing out of her with this hemorrhage of, of bleeding, and she herself is trying to get through the crowd because she's considered unclean because of her. Sickness, but at this point, I don't care because I have to find Jesus. I need an encounter, I need a miracle, and the situation that I'm in only God can turn this thing around. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in in that place where both are pushing, and they are pushing because they are desperate. And desperate people will do desperate things. How desperate are you for God's intervention? How desperate are you for God to do a miracle in your life and to turn maybe a situation around? Desperate people will do desperate things. And when you're desperate, you you don't care who's sitting next to you. When you're desperate, you don't care who's behind you. When you're desperate, you don't care who's in front of you. When you're desperate, all you know is that I've got to get God's attention. You could read, and we don't have time today, throughout the New Testament, people that were desperate and did desperate things and didn't care what the people said or what the people did. They had a desperation. They needed God to do something and they didn't care. It was like Jimmy Crack Corn and I don't care if this offends you. When you are desperate for God, you don't need somebody to tell you to raise your hands. When you're desperate for God, you don't need somebody to tell you, could you please say amen? When you're desperate for God and you need a miracle, you don't need somebody to tell you, can you give God 30 seconds of praise? When you're desperate, you don't care if you sing in tune or out of tune. You're just Trying to get God's attention because your need demands an appointment with God when when you're desperate. No one has to invite you to church. Uh, When you're desperate, you'll get here before the gates are, are even open. When you're desperate, you'll get here before the pastor. When you're desperate, you'll get here before the musicians arrive. When you're desperate, you get here because you need something from God. You need God to intervene because there's something that you need for God to do in your life. You're desperate. I wonder if you've ever gotten to that point of desperation for God. These two people find themselves no longer looking at their status on the surface. All they know is that I have to have an encounter with God, and I'm desperate because of my need. One is dying, bleeding to death, and the other one has this 12-year-old little girl that's on the edge of death. And I'll do whatever I have to do because I'm desperate. And they both find themselves in that desperate position and place. And there's something about desperation that God uses to fulfill his purpose and to take you to His, his destiny. There's something about desperation that touches God. Let me put it to you this way. Desperation seems to be the door through which your miracle enters through. Desperation seems to be that open door where your miracle will walk through. When was the last time that situation got you desperate for intervention from God? And it was this type of desperation. That brought Jairus to the feet of Jesus and brought this woman to the feet of Jesus. And on the surface, they had nothing in common. But the need that they had connected them and brought them both to the same place. To the feet of Jesus. Like I said, it's interesting that all of us here may have different needs. But it brings us to the same place. But God, can you intervene? And God, I, I need you. You see... This story tells us that, that Jairus got there first, and he is desperate for his little 12-year-old girl who is dying to receive a miracle. The Bible says in Mark 5, 23, that when Jairus gets to, to where Jesus is, it says, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. You know, desperation will make you forget your status or make you forget your posture and your sophisticated self. The desperation will make you forget that you got Mary Kay on or MAC makeup on. Ma- Mary, K. Desperation will make you forget who you are and what position you hold. Because you need God. And the Bible says that he's fervently begging, pleading with Jesus. Would you come? Lay hands on my daughter because she's dying. This plea of urgency would be like a 911 call of an emergency. And asking for them to get there as soon as possible. Now, this woman with the issue of blood is in the same state of desperation. You see, her situation as well is is chronic and it's critical. Uh, uh, She's been suffering for a long time, and, and her life is literally draining out of her through this issue of blood. And I like the way Mark in his gospel wants us to see some connections between these two people because the little girl, that's about to die is 12 years old. And the woman that is dying has been suffering and now dying for 12 years. If if I could do it chronologically speaking, the same year, listen to me, the same year that this little girl was born, was probably the exact year that this woman was diagnosed with this issue of blood. If, if, if this were, would be a movie in 2020, I think the producers would have started off with the first scene where Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood are both at the feet of Jesus. And then I think that a a sign would come up that would say 12 years earlier. And it would take you back 12 years. And you would see Jarius in the hospital with his wife carrying their firstborn, this little girl. They are elated. They have a smile from ear to ear as they now enter parenthood. The excitement is so overwhelming that they're walking out of the hospital. But at the same time, there's a woman who's walking out of the same hospital with tears down her face and papers in her hand where the doctors have just diagnosed. Diagnosed the severe sickness and they don't know what to do. And it could be. That as Jairus and his wife are elated and excited, walking out one door of the hospital with their baby, on the same other side of the door is this woman walking out diagnosed with this fatal sickness. And here's the problem. The problem is that you can be so elated and so preoccupied, enjoying the gift and the promise of God, that you could ignore the pain. The hurt of somebody that's right next to you, but you're overwhelmed with your gift. Vice versa, you're so overwhelmed by the bad news that you got that the doctors can't do anything, that you can't even notice a happy couple that's walking out with a newborn and the excitement of being parents. And that happens so much here in the church. Because we can be so excited jumping and dancing and look what the Lord has done. And when I think of his goodness and what he's done for me and when I think of his goodness and how he set me free, I will jump, jump, jump. That we're so excited about what God has done that we ignore that next to us, behind us or in front of us, there's somebody that can't jump like we jump, praise like we praise, and and shout like we shout because they're going through issues in life. But we have been so ignorant and we're not conscious of that vice versa. We can be so overwhelmed with our pain and our hurt even here in church that the preacher could be preaching and the worship could be playing and people around you could be praising God but you're not conscious that God is in this place because you're so overwhelmed by the pain and the hurt that you're going through without knowing that we're both in the same place and that we both could use each other. interesting how Mark brings the two stories together to let us know there is a connection between you and between me and it may not be there on the surface but down underneath uh, we all we all have the same need uh, that we need Jesus. We all have the same need uh, that we need Jesus. We all have the same need that we need Jesus and it's so interesting how we can still be together and yet be ignorant to the needs and to the rejoicing that is in the same in the same room. He's asking her. He's asking him to come. She's needing a miracle from God. And we sometimes tend to forget what Romans 12, 15 says, that says that we should be happy with those who are happy, but we should also weep with those who weep, And like I said, we could be so happy that we tend to not be conscious of those that are weeping. And we could be so much in our own pain that we're weeping that we are not even conscious that there are others that are happy. And the thing about that is, is that if I'm in the same place and we have the same need and we understand that Jesus is can handle both. If he heals you, shouldn't I be next? And know that he's gonna heal me? If he handles your problem, that shouldn't that bring some satisfaction that, hey, if, if he did it for you, he, he can do it for me. Next week I'll I'll go into the second half of this, but part of that is what do you do when somebody else is receiving the miracle while you're still waiting for yours. And here's the deal, he got there first. He was the first one there. He's walking with Jesus, come to my house, and Jesus is going, and the next thing you know, he's holding somebody else's hand because there was such a big crowd. He lost Jesus in the crowd. Now he's figuring out, where's Jesus? Jesus. She understands that the only one that could heal her is Jesus. And he understands that the only one that can heal his daughter is Jesus. It's the same person. But what happens when you have been asking first and somebody else gets their answer and their healing before you do? Can you rejoice with them? Again, rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. And we need to be thankful for for Jesus because both people didn't see each other at the hospital, maybe walking out at the same time through two different doors in the same entrance. But the fact is that though they didn't see each other in the hospital, now they're forced to see each other at the hem of Jesus' garment at the feet of Jesus. And life will do that to us sometimes. That doesn't matter the status that we are, that if we don't acknowledge ourselves up here, fine. But there will come a point where God will have to connect us again. And we'll have to see each other and understand that I've got to weep when you weep. And I've got to rejoice when you rejoice. Because that's reciprocal that when I'm weeping, you'll weep with me. And when I'm rejoicing, you'll learn to rejoice with me. God is the one that makes and is there for both the happy and the painful. and So they're both there because of Jesus. Now some numbers are significant in the Bible and Mark wants us to understand some of these important numbers because, again, this little girl is 12 years old. And she's been suffering for 12 years. Numbers are significant in the Bible. Three, the number of Trinity. Eight, the number of new beginnings. Twelve is government and authority. And in the Old Testament, God begins to establish his covenant with his people. And he starts with Abraham. He continues continues it with With Isaac. And then he culminates it with Jacob. Because in Jacob, Jacob doesn't only have one, doesn't have six, doesn't have ten, but he has how many? Twelve sons. And it's of those twelve sons that God decides to establish the nation of Israel and the twelve tribes of Israel. It's the number 12 where God establishes not only his covenant and chooses his nation with 12 tribes, but it also is a representation of God's power and it's also of God's authority. The number 12, you fast forward to the New Testament. Well, even in the Old Testament, the high priest who would come behind the Holy of Holies once a year to pray for the sins of the people, he would dress himself up and part of his garment was the ephod and the ephod had 12 stones that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. You fast forward to the New Testament and this high priest is only... 12 years old named Jesus and he's in the temple and they are amazed at the wisdom of Jesus at the age of 12 that he's there talking with the doctors of the law and the scribes and they are they are just amazed at his wisdom and then later on this 12 year old boy named Jesus grows up and he's 30 years old and now he's having to choose his his posse he has to choose uh, 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 his his followers and he has to choose a uh, people that are going to be with him. If I was, if, if I was a, a Jesus, I would have stopped that 11. But everybody needs a hater once and then. So he said, okay, give me Judas. Let's get 12. And so he gets his 12 there to, to, to establish that number of authority and that number of significance to God that there is a, a covenant there. And so he establishes the number 12, connecting also 12 years old. And 12 years of, of sickness. But let, let me close with this because uh, I, I, I will continue it next week. But one of the things that you have to understand is that faith is not enough. We all have to have faith. And if you're going to see a miracle to come take place in your life, listen, you have to have more than just faith. You have to to be conscious that God has an authority that can determine how much you'll receive from God. You can have faith but not uh, recognize his power and his authority. Everyone has a certain measure of faith. He even told this woman, hey, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. But it wasn't just her faith, is that she had faith in someone and recognized that that someone, Jesus, had the power to intervene and had the power to touch and change the condition of her life. And sometimes we have faith, but we don't acknowledge that God has the power to intervene and the authority to change the circumstance in my life. The guys were on the boat with Jesus. In one occasion, and when Jesus is walking on the water, Peter says, "Would you come? If it's you, let me go to you." And he starts walking, starts sinking, and then Jesus tells them, "Men of little faith! What good is your faith if you don't believe that I have the power to come and make a difference in your situation?" In another occasion, they're on the boat, all of them. Jesus is with them. But Jesus is sleeping. And they get in a panic attack as the waters are hitting the boat. You could say they have faith. But all of a sudden, their faith is invaded by doubt because they go down. It doesn't matter if Jesus was there. They didn't recognize his authority. They didn't recognize his power. Because if they did, they would have said, he's sleeping, he's cool, we're okay. But because they didn't recognize to a certain degree the authority and the power, they didn't go to tell Jesus, Jesus, oh, would you just take care of the storm? They're there, hey, do you not care that we can die here? And Jesus gets up, says, bonanza to the storm. And then they said, like, here it is. Who, who is this guy? Who, who is this guy that that, that even the storms will obey him? You wouldn't be asking that question if you trusted God and understood and believed that he had the authority. Why would you ask that question? Who, who is this guy? Wait a minute! You've been walking with him. You left your fish. You left your boats. You left your businesses. You left your tax office to go and follow this guy. And then you come to the point of saying, "Who is this guy?" Well, what did you follow? Who? Hello? Could it be that we're just like them? That we're here and we follow Jesus, but but we really don't know who he is. Oh, I know I've got faith, that's why I go, is it really true? Do, do we come here just, just be, for our conscience? Do we come, or do we really come with expectation knowing God has the power to do something? And, and I've got to do, there, there are three things that I, that I want you as we come to a close that I want you to think about today. Number one is what, 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 uh, what things do I have to ask God to get out of my life that are hindering the breakthrough that I need? What things in my life do I have to say instead of arise to say get out leave The second thing is that how desperate am I for God What things would I have to change and what things am I willing to do and I don't care the thing is I know that this will get God's attention in my life How desperate are you for him that the desperate that God sees the des- desperation that God sees in your life will create that door for your miracle to walk through And the third thing is Lord, make me conscience. Make me conscience. Because we could be in the same room, but I'm not aware of my brother and my sister's need. I'm not aware of my brother or sister's promise, and blessing. Because I'm so caught up in my blessing that I can't even be aware of my brother's needs and hurts and pains. And I'm so caught up in my pain that I can't even rejoice with my brother's miracle. And yet we're both in the same place at the same Jesus that did it for him will will, will do it it for me. So much easier said than done, like I said, because what do you do when your friend gets there after you, gets his miracle, and yours seems like it's not going to happen? Because we're so used for God to do things the same way, and he doesn't. You see, he brought and did do a miracle for her, but in the process, his daughter dies. And she needs a resurrection. And in order to get a resurrection, there has to be a death. Hello. And it's so much easier to say, oh, God can resurrect, really. It can only resurrect it if it's dead. And Sometimes God wants to do something bigger in you. So he made you wait a little so that I could attend this person and give her what she needed. But what I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you double for your trouble because even though you got here first, you had to wait. And the first sometimes will be last and the last sometimes will be first. But it doesn't matter. God has a way of making up for both. Hello. And next week we'll talk about because we're so used to taking Jesus by the hand and leading him. When she interrupts Jesus. Like I said, he's holding now somebody else's hand because there's a crowd and all of a sudden he finds out it's not Jesus, he's lost Jesus. And when he finally finds Jesus, his friends come. And what kind of friends did he have anyway? Oh, don't bother the master. If you know he's Jesus, that's what I'm getting at. Sometimes we don't understand the authority of Jesus. Oh, your daughter died, don't bother him. Anymore. Like he, he can't do anything now. But why was he coming to him in the first place? And so instead of Jairus leading Jesus, now after the daughter dies, Jesus sees his face, overhears them telling him, "Don't bother me anymore. She's died. She's, She's dead." And Jesus now takes the lead, and he says, "Don't be afraid. Just believe. Come on, come on. Now let's go to your house." And should it be that way all the time that Jesus leads us instead of us trying to lead Jesus? Sometimes God has to interrupt our walk and our journey to switch roles and say, just trust me now. I got this. Don't be afraid. Just follow me. And when he gets into the house, as they're laughing, he says, we can't, we can't have this here. Got to get them out. And again, as we get ready to close, those three things I want you to search in your life. What things in my life do I have to get out? Doubt, unbelief. What things in my life do I have to say thank you but no thanks? It's been good. It's been okay. But you've got to go, doubt. Unbelief, you've got to go. Adultery, you've got to go. Affair, you've got to leave. Circle of friends in my Facebook, sorry, but but you got to go. And before God can raise something up, he wants to make sure that you're willing to let something go. The second thing is, how desperate are you? Desperate people do desperate things. And desperate people don't care who's around them. I've got to get God's attention how Will you get God's attention? And the third thing is, don't let me be so egoistic, so selfish, whether it's in my promise and my gift or whether it's in my pain. Let me be aware of those around me because their joy, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. Maybe their joy can be my strength and encouragement as I go through my valley and my journey of pain and get out of it. But maybe I could also encourage the one that's weeping. So we're all connected one way or another. What you do can connect, can affect me. And we're not even blood brothers, but we're brothers and sisters in Christ to the blood of Jesus. So as your head is bowed and your eye is closed, my question to you would be exactly that. Do you think you need to let go and say, thanks, see ya. It's not allowing you to serve God. It's not allowing you to see God's faithfulness and God's blessing upon your life. So that you could see God raise that which has been doormat in your life. How desperate are you to see God move and Can your desperation create a door through which your miracle could go through? Because God understands throughout the Bible, you'll find people that were desperate. Can you push through the crowd to make that appointment with Jesus? And can you not allow your blessing or your pain to make you blind and unaware of those that are around you? Because sooner or later, we'll be brought together to the feet of Jesus. Why not do it now and encourage one another? Is there anyone here today says, Pastor J.R., before you pray for everyone else, I'm not where I should be with God. And and I need God. I, I'm desperate. I need for God to do something in my life, something... In me, there are things that I know today I need to get rid of because these things and these people are not allowing me to serve God the way I should. Maybe that's you today. and God brought you today to let you know this is your day. God wants to intervene in your life. And he wants to do that miracle that you need. Is there anybody that raises their hands? I want to pray with you right now.